Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona Podcast. Hello again, listeners. We've been away for a short break. Unfortunately, we're not joined by Michael De Silva, who is sadly indisposed this week. But we have the wonderful Ryan Hun. Hi, Ryan. Hello, hello. Just to point out again, Michael's just a little bit under the weather. Yeah, but indisposed sounds better. Yeah. And James Horncastle is joining us to discuss the Milan derby, the dramatic Milan derby, and the rest of Serie A. But let's plunge straight in. Before we get into Premier League, I really enjoy the Nations League. I yeah, like... I'm, I'm into it. It adds more weight to certain things. You know, looking at G- Germany might get relegated. Do you know what I like about it? Which is fun. It's a bit like when you're at uni and you're playing pool and it's winner stays on. It just adds that incentive. You know, when you win a, you know, just because it, a friendly match, there's no consequence, right? Yeah. But the beauty of the Nations League is there's that sense of consequence and there's just enough needle. I mean, like, and you've got great stories like, you know, the Dutch are returning to prominence, you know, beating. Well, yeah, they're looking good. Looking, the Dutch are looking good. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, I, I think there's more of a case of Germany not looking that great at all. Um, Although but... uh, the reason I'm going to jump in there again is because I'm always in danger of not giving credit to teams that win as opposed to great teams in decline. So yeah. I, I always, I'm a very, as a United fan, it's always like, oh, United in decline as opposed to... You're a glass half full guy. Exactly. Whereas I think the Dutch, are, we won't get to the Dutch right now because that's another podcast, but I just want to give a shout out to them because that win over Germany was a big deal for them. Yeah, for sure. And it needs yeah. a milestone, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, um, was it two major tournaments they've missed out on now and right. and and uh, the sooner that they can start being back to being a real force again I think the better it's just more fun isn't it I mean absolutely rumblings from the Dutch good signs but but back to the Premier <laughs> good League good band name <laughs> back to the Premier League and a dramatic weekend although maybe not entirely surprising so Chelsea drawing against Manchester United at home what a game great game for a neutral I imagine it was terrible for a United or a Chelsea actually it wasn't so bad for United fan because I think my expectations have become quite low and it was great to see them play with freedom after mm. Chelsea went a goal up and to see Anthony Martial playing Well, superbly. I have to, on my notes for the show, I've got Chelsea 2, Man United 2, and it, all it says is Martial is a bad man. <laughs> well, that's very, because very he accurate. was brilliant. His two goals were great. And at first half, I thought United were dreadful. Yeah. Like really, really poor. Didn't look very comfortable on the ball. And to be fair, I really think Chelsea missed a trick only going in 1-0 down. Right, yeah, but, absolutely. Um, United have got a real problem from set pieces though at the moment and it doesn't seem very Mourinho-like. I imagine Sunas was probably loving the fact that it was Pogba who lost, lost Rudiger lost for the Rudiger, goal. Yeah. But unfortunately, I mean, whenever zonal marking is used in a in a set piece and a team concedes from it, it gets hammered, usually by pundits. And I actually think that this is a prime example of, of why so many teams use zonal marking because the reliance on one guy... Um, losing his man 
is taken away in zonal market. And you see this, I, I, don't, I don't really think Pogba deserves a huge amount of criticism for this because it's he can't run through two men. So he has to run round... Um, who I can't remember who the other two guys were, but basically Rudiger, David well, Luiz, yeah, Rudiger goes one way, and it's kind of like a basketball screen, you know. Right. It's a, it's a, he just got screened, yeah. And this is what happens when you, when you man mark, um, you know, if you had a, if you had a zonal thing there as well, then there probably would have been other players in that zone, and it might not have been such an easy, easy run for Rudiger. It's a funny result because it slightly slows Chelsea's role because they've been obviously very impressive this season. And it, it shows they do have slight defensive problems of their own. It throws up, you know, maybe that Juan Mata has been a little bit underused. And I think the football historians in years to come will be absolutely aghast that Anti Martial did not make it to the World Cup. And they'll wonder about Mourinho's role in that. But it's it's funny. It's, you know, the kind of the undead, Jose Mourinho's sort of undead um, tenure at United seems to be rumbling on because, you know, that's an encouraging second half performance and people have come away feeling good about it. And I think... I think he's probably safe for the time being. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, it's a it must be a weird one to process because I think any United fan would have taken a point before the game. Right. Um, but then in the context, you know, conceding a last minute equaliser. It's a bit of a sickener, but I, I wanted to touch on what you said about Juan Mata because I thought during the game, you just saw how much he brings to that Man United side when he's played in a central role. He's a, such an intelligent footballer and... His speed of passing, like the amount of times he would lay a, lay something off one touch and just keep people involved and keep the ball circulating. I think for that United side, it's really, really key. They've got too many players, I think, at the moment who are who want to spend too much time on the ball, you know, going forward. Um, as much as I love Marcus Rashford, he likes to run at players. He got dispossessed quite a lot in the right. uh, first half on Saturday. Martial likes to run at players. Uh, Sanchez is when he plays is you know notorious for holding on to the ball having someone like Mata in in the middle of it all I think just keeps it ticking and it allows Pogba to play a little bit deeper mm. I think that system works yeah a lot better for United I don't know what you thought but um, no I agree with that I think that's right and I think you need someone like Mata who sets the tone who plays triangles who structures the attack because if frankly Mourinho isn't going to create complex tactical systems. There's someone like Mata can do that for him. He can defer that or delegate that to to Mata. And his role in the second goal was was extraordinary. Key. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, are we going to talk about Mourinho kicking off? Because that was well funny. Do you know what? I don't know if I want to. Only because can I then? Because yeah, yeah I, only <laughs> not because I don't. Because I just think that the danger is of that being a narrative. Do you know what I mean? We'll yeah, talk it about so, it. It was such a tactic, wasn't it? I think we give Mourinho too much credit for the mind games because if you look at all the fights he picks, no one replies to him. I just don't think he's as smart, strategic as we give him credit. Maybe not these days. In the old days, yes. But now, I mean, Guardiola's not paying attention to him. I mean, we'll get onto the City result. Man City won 5-0 against Burnley. No one's even talking about it. Yeah, it seemed no very routine, it. didn't yeah. it? But no one mentioned it. Like, if you look at, like, even the social media buzz about it, I mean, it was barely barely registered. Yeah, I think that sometimes happens in the three o'clock games, though, as well, when, you know, Man, United, Man City at home to Burnley, three o'clock Saturday. You kind of expect that to be a... Well, that's that's what they've City done. Win. They've made it into procession. They've made victory at home mm. into this kind of, you know, the routine affair. But let, let's get into a, a game that was far less routine. Cardiff Fulham, that was a cracker. That was the best game of the weekend, I thought, in the Premier League. I think so as well. Yeah, yeah it was, it was crazy. Great opening goal by Schuller. Yeah. From distance. Brilliant goal. Absolutely, Absolutely brilliant. Seeker. And um, you kind of thought, 
all right, maybe this is this would be Fulham's day because Cardiff are they've been struggling a lot, you know, especially at home. Um, well, not especially at home; they've been struggling away as well. But like, they're not really uh, they haven't been scoring many goals. I mean, they doubled their goal tally for the season on Saturday. <laughs> you know, so when Fulham went one 0 up, you kind of expected them to to run away with it. But Fulham just cannot defend at all. It's I mean, awful. Nine goals in two games they've conceded. And initially, when they, at the beginning of the season, they, they started quite well, uh, or they looked promising, playing good football, good signings with Schurler and Seri and Mitrovic up front. Um, but yeah, they just cannot defend. There was one goal in particular, if you get to watch the highlights, I think it's the third or fourth card of goal. And the ball is lost early on, was of high up the pitch, mm. and it's recycled. It just stays in the area, and no one can get it clear. So it's, it's this awful mix of individual and systemic mistakes there's just no coordination really in in vital areas for them at the moment i mean they've conceded 25 goals this season already oh my goodness we've played nine games um they i mean yeah they really need to they really need to sort it out otherwise they're they're going to really struggle brutal the worst thing is i can imagine getting a one-all draw at old trafford i just (laughs) i just can't (laughs) part of me is just dreading the day they find their defensive discipline being at old trafford would just be our luck it's really strange how now a lot of the stuff you say about manchester united is it just reminds me so much of peak arsenal in the last few years (laughs) where there's nothing that will play a team into form like coming to the emirates yeah oh no (laughs) um but yeah i'm cardiff's first win of the season and now they've actually, I didn't realise this, but Fulham have only won one game as well this season. Mm. But Fulham are in the bottom three now. And yeah, I mean, they, like I say, they really need to sort that out. Otherwise they're going to go straight back down. Liverpool got a very kind of Benitez era win over Huddersfield as well, didn't they? A 1-0 away, I think it was. They yeah, out. I thought actually Huddersfield were a little bit unfortunate. I'm not 100% sure whether it was a penalty for handball, but if it had been given, I don't think many people would have really kicked off about it. Right. Um, but yeah, Liverpool are not playing well at the moment, but they're getting points, which is which is. Do you know what? Good. It's a funny one with Liverpool because I just look, well, their goal difference is plus 13, I think, and I think City is plus 23. Mm. And I think it will come down to a shootout. It will come down to two things, I think, the Premier League. It will come down to squad depth and a shootout. And the problem is, and we'll get onto City just now, actually, I suppose, might be so great to City. Manchester City just have astonishing levels of firepower. Kevin De Bruyne has just returned and his absence registered barely a blip. Bernardo Silva has been superb. Riyad Mahrez has pushed Leroy Sané. I mean, he's strengthened all our areas. Mendy is back from injury. It's just... Yeah, they are... At this point. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I I said this last season as, you know, as an Arsenal fan who is my duty as an Arsenal fan to bang the Invincibles drum but I honestly think that Man City side from last season was the best Premier League side I've seen but it's funny with City because what makes them so brutal is the variety of ways they can hurt you and the the amount of chances they create so you look at the opening goal it gets squared I think by David Silva to Aguero who scores from eight yards out they're so intense Mm. so if you if you come out and play against them they're getting behind you Mm -hmm. and if you sit deep if you sit off them Riyad Mahrez picks out the top corner and, and it picks, actually, you know, will locate the top corner perfectly. Even Fernandinho side footed in top right. Bernardo Silva's goal, beautiful. They just, they they just, just dismantle you. They just, and the only thing that will stop them, I think, is a gruelling UEFA Champions League campaign. The only thing I think will wind them is coming up against the team like a sort of resurgent PSG. You know what I mean? Like that, that will dismantle them in the Champions League. Otherwise, I, 
I think this season it, it could be a procession for them. Yeah, I think I think at the moment, I think the thing that a lot of the Premier League teams are going to struggle with in the Champions League is just where the knockout stages arrive because your key competitors have had a winter break and you haven't. In fact, when they're having a break, you're going into the most intensive period of football that you'll play this season. So no matter how good you are, how how deep your squad is, that's going to affect you at that level. So yeah, I agree. That's when I think it's going to start really affecting them. And Liverpool did really well last season, obviously getting to the final, but but yeah. A couple other things that, to throw in. Um, West Ham lost to Spurs, but the bigger story there is the Yarmolenko injury because they've been looking quite good, haven't they, with him back? Yeah, that's a real blow for them. And I, again, same with Huddersfield. I think West Ham were really unfortunate. You could see it in Pochettino's face, actually, when the whistle went, he looked like he kind of knew he got away with one a bit there. Mm. And um, Hugo Lloris made some really, really, really good saves. He's not been in great form at mm. all for a while. And um, But yeah, he made a, some really good saves to keep him in it. I think West Ham deserved a point. Right. For sure. And they've been good. I mean, I feel a bit bad for them because they have, mm. they had a brutal start and they, they turned it around pretty nicely. And it's just, you know, it's just, it's just not their, not their luck, is it? Well, I mean, it really didn't look good for them at the beginning of the season, did it? I mean, we've spent the first few weeks talking about how much we feared for them. And I mean, they've climbed to 14th. I mean, they still lost six games, but was it the first, they lost their first four, right? Right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I haven't actually seen what the diagnosis is of the Yarmolenko injury. Do you know, do you know what was it? I saw something about a few months, but I, that's, that's sort of very, yeah. very preliminary. I mean, that's a real shame. Other thing I want to mention before we skip on to the other leagues is Wolves losing 2-0 to Watford at home. And Wolves are interesting because Wolves play fantastic, intricate football. They didn't, they didn't score very many. Mm. The Betis of the Premier League. Yes, uh, the Betis. <laughs> I love that. I love that analogy. So why, let me extend it because it's your analogy. Why, why do you refer to Wolves as the Betis of the Premier League? To be fair, I mean, they've scored a goal a game, you know, and they've conceded less than a goal a game. So they're kind of steady. They're a little bit more, flamb- I wouldn't say flamboyant, but they, they kind of scored more than Betis. Betis play some good stuff. Though. Yeah, Betis yeah. are great. They just can't finish. Yeah. Um, but um, interesting that w- after all the talk around Wolves, Watford are actually above them. They had a flying no. start there, Watford, didn't they? They've won, they did. won four, haven't they? I think four or five? Five, yeah. Five. Um, above Everton who are above Wolves, who are above Manchester United. So The Premier League middle class. Well, I mean, Bournemouth are up to sixth. I mean, they got a point at, um, against Southampton at the weekend, a nil-nil draw. But, you know, Bournemouth's very quietly... Doing a great kind job. Of doing a really good job. I mean, I, I'm really worried about Southampton. They're only a point out of the relegation zone. And they can't score goals either. They've, I think they've scored... There's only one team that scored less than them this season. Um, they Last season was the first time I think since they made it back into the Premier League that they finished outside the top 10 and they finished they're really struggling under Hughes and yeah I mean for the last couple of seasons there's been a gradual decline at Southampton after being one of the clubs who you seemed very focused and had such a, a clear strategy with you know a, po- a point in Pochettino and the way they signed and they sold really well and there was a clear strategy there I think the director of football or chief scout left for Spurs with Pochettino and um, since then they haven't been able to kind of replicate that yeah no absolutely and it's funny because we talk about restoring and renewing uh, squads and, and and a squad ethos and that's a problem that Real Madrid are really having at the moment we'll get into Real Madrid uh, in a moment but what I want to do is take a quick break at this point and get into Serie A because we had a great result for Inter Milan in the derby and we'll be joined for that by the great James Horncastle 
rejoin the Rabona podcast, one of the fan favourites, audience favourites. Stepping in for Michael. Absolutely, absolutely, after the break. So we'll catch you then. We're joined again by the wonderful James Horncastle. James, welcome again. <laughs> Thank you very much, Musa. And James will be discussing with us the dramatic uh, Milan derby. Well, dramatic, not so dramatic, but rescued by a dramatic last minute whenever I missed it, Icardi. James, what are your impressions of the of the match? Well, it's just a great spectacle to be at. I mean, it never is dull. I mean, I know it was it was nil-nil going into the, the 92nd minute and for large portions of the second half, it looked like the match was kind of drifting. Um, but when you come out of the Metro at, uh, at San Siro and you see that stadium, which you know, looks like a, uh, a kind of city from a, I don't know, a sci-fi planet, um, <laughs> particularly as, as the sun is going down and, and, and dusk is beginning to set in. It's just incredible. It's one of the, one of the great events, I think, in football um, across the world. And you know, before the game, the, the choreographies from, from, uh, from both uh, sets of ultras were, you know, they took your breath away. Um, you know, one from the Interfans, which was of uh, the snake, which is their kind of spirit animal. Uh, chasing away a kind of scrambling uh, devil, <laughs> um, and uh, and and the one in the in the in the uh, in the, uh, the sud where the Milan fans uh, stand, which is was just a two hands ripping a serpent apart. So, oh wow! Um, yeah, I mean, it was it, uh, to be honest, the the, the 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 first half I thought was was quite interesting um, because Inter Inter deserved to win. Let's let's um, let's not beat around the bush right. uh, on that. Um, and they, but there was a sort of all the pre-match build-up had been how, how about how physical Inter were and how much tougher they were than Milan. And instead, Milan kind of came out and gave this impression that they were the the reflection of their kind of manager as a player on the pitch. Um, their manager being Rino Gattuso, because right. they really kind of put themselves about and. Um, Nainggolan had to go off injured midway through the second half, uh, midway through the first half, which he thought might turn the momentum back Milan's way. But Milan were very disappointing on the night. Really didn't uh, didn't show any of the kind of style and, and grace that we've kind of come to associate with them so far this season. Um, they've scored a lot of goals, but Higuain and Suso just weren't allowed to get into the game. So, uh, but a wonderful, an incredible climax, the but, best kind of climax. But sorry, sorry to jump in. I mean, I'm just wondering: are we wrong to? keep expecting this beauty from Milan are we almost I suppose you know as a United fan we say hang on to the Ferguson years and it's time to move forward from that um, I think no one expected uh, Milan to, to, to play in the way that they have done this season um, under their manager Rino Gattuso I think everyone's got their own kind of um, uh, sort of pre uh, predisposed ideas about what uh, Gattuso is all about and they've been sort of playing out from the back um, playing the ball on the floor very easy on the eye kind of football there is a certain question mark about Gattuso as to whether he is he is the man capable of of taking Milan um not back to where they were which was you know sort of top of the European game but making them competitive in in uh in Serie A again now he kind of proved a lot of people wrong um last uh, last year um both in terms of the kind of football that he could play and and the the, the ability that he showed in turning things around uh, at Milan, um, but I think you know going into the, the, the game, I said this about both teams. They've had to get through, go through one owner to, to to get to the right one, and it seems that both of both Inter and Milan now have 
legitimate backing and yeah should should be able to finally start uh, moving in the right direction going forward and yeah i think when milan were taken over by this this hedge fund godelia which is they essentially repossessed the club um after the sort of brief uh, ownership period of this chinese guy called Lee Yong Hong, um, they, th- there was the expectation that they would just flip the, flip the club for a quick quick buck because they got it so cheaply. But instead, they look like they're in for at least three to five years. They've made some really good appointments in terms of like chief executive. They've got Gazidis in from Arsenal. They've got Leonardo running the sporting side. The Paolo Maldini has come back to the club. So the, the Milan is starting to feel like Milan again after for the first time in a long, long time. And I, I hope it's only a matter of time before they they really get their act together and they are back where we kind of you and I associate them with. Great Tier Milan are returning to something like their old selves and across the city Inter Milan returning to ominously solid form and now about to face a Leo Messi less Barcelona. How do you see things playing out for them this season? Well Inter turned their season around in that game against Spurs Musa. Um, they've won every game since then um, and yeah, you know, if you reflect on on, on that performance uh, at at, uh, at San Siro, yeah, I think no one would have seen it coming because um, yeah, but for that Icardi kind of volley from outside of the box, Inter didn't look like getting anything out of that game, and instead they've got maximum points in uh, in their Champions League group, which is much more than expected. Obviously, Spurs are on on nil point, uh, um, and uh, they go into this these this double header against Barcelona uh, with a bit of a free hit I would say but also um, as you mentioned uh, with a real chance with Messi being out and this Barcelona side sort of being able unable to manage games and to uh, to defend as well as we've kind of associated them with in the past and when you've got a, as we saw on Sunday night when you've got a goal scorer like Gardi you know he only needs one touch and mm. yeah, he'll make it count um, so I think if Inter get anything out of this game, uh, these two games, they've got a real, real good shot at going through. Which I must admit, I didn't, I didn't think they might when the draw was made because of the respect that Spurs have earned in this competition, particularly last year. And and you know Barcelona kind of, I think, setting their their objectives this season all around the Champions League and. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a shame that Nainggolan is not going to be playing because um, he picked up that injury last night. Um, there's a few doubts about uh, Perisic and Brozovic, but I think they've got a chance. And uh, that's more than, than, than many people expected um, you know, back in August when, when uh, the, the names came out of that hat in neon. Fantastic. Uh, well, so we'll be looking, looking forward uh, into fans with some optimism to that game. And the rest of Serie A, what's catching your eye um, in, in the rest of the tournament? <laughs> Well, um, I, I suppose this weekend it was it was Kievo, um, who um, many people think should not be in the league after uh, after the scandal that they were caught up in the summer, which was they were found to have been basically trading um, sort of unknown young players to a club called Chisena and other clubs for uh, massively overinflated value, um, and uh, Chisena went bust and were kind of given a, a big points penalty before that. Uh, and the expectation that was that Kievo would get the same and maybe end up in Serie B. Instead, they survived somehow, got a minimal points penalty. Um, but that's really conditioned their season. So they made a managerial change before the international break. And the guy they brought in is Giampiero Ventura, the man responsible for Italy not going to a World Cup for the first time in 60 years, a man disgraced 
graced by that. And how does he start things with Kieva? He loses 5-1 to Atalanta. <laughs> so there is this sense that there is this just like bad karma is all like sort of just, it's just all kind of focusing in, in, in that side of Verona at the moment. And, uh, and Kieva, who were once such a, such a great fairy tale, are now getting their kind of comeuppance. They were the darling. Well, that's a, that's a, such a strange thing with Kieva, sort of a Faustian pact. I don't know, but they were certainly, you know, was it the flying airplanes? I think they were, they were very much the loved, adored team. Um, it's funny. They were the flying donkeys. The flying, yeah. the flying donkeys. And, uh, that's right. Yeah. Well, that, maybe that was a foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, Moose, they were were simpaticissimo you know everyone everyone loved uh Chievo. you know they were most people's second team because they kind of proved that you could um you know it, it didn't matter where you came from it didn't matter how small your budget was it didn't matter that you you were a no-name club with no-name players you could mix it with the big boys and you know go into the what going to christmas in their in their first season uh top of the table um and it's incredible that in the space of 15 years um attitudes towards them have completely completely changed and i'd recommend anyone to go and read uh tim parks who wrote right. that great book uh a season in verona right what uh, go 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 and look in the archives i think he wrote a, a uh, an edit an op-ed in the guardian about kievo and what he feels about kievo back then um it's uh it yeah it certainly it, it's it's it didn't make him a uh didn't make him particularly popular with Kievo fans, and I think you know, I think he's he, he's probably taking a lot of pleasure and enjoyment out of what's going on there at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be checking it out. I'm sure many lessons will as well. Um, James, anything else? Uh, Juventus, perhaps the draw, um, and and Roma losing to Spal was a surprising result. Yeah. Yeah, um, Spal are a great story. I actually spent some time there um, uh, two weeks ago. Spal back in the in the league for the first time in fifty years when they got promoted uh, last season. They stayed up and they now looked at they're trying to build on that. Um, and yeah, beating Roma at the Olimpico, uh, huge, huge for them. Um, and um, they've just got some really interesting players who have been there um, since before Spal was Spal. And I'll explain myself in, in that moose because Spal went bust. And when teams go bust in in Italy, they basically yeah they um, anyone can buy the name of the club and the emblem of the club, but essentially you know everything the paraphernalia that goes with it. So this club that was n- nearby Ferrara, which is where Spal were based, called Giacomense, the owner of that decided to buy the the name of Spal, make Giacomense Spal, and and sort of take Spal from what there's the fourth division all the way up to uh, to Serie A, and Lazzari has been with them since they were Giacomense, um, and you know obviously played for Italy against Portugal, so. You know, I mean, he's he's a he's a great story, and uh, yeah, I mean, Roma's Roma's problems they look like they were resolved. Um, they still have problems winning at home. They, they, their home record is is terrible for a team that is is looking to to mix it with uh, with Juventus, and um, you know, I, I think. Uh, the, the problem, I suppose, is when when they started to pick up form in September and October, they were, with the exception of the derby against Lazio, against teams you'd expect them to beat, you know, your Victoria Pilsons, your Frosinones. So, um, yeah, this this I suppose this transition from um, Allison, from Kevin Strootman, from Nyingalan, um to a, uh, a much younger team uh, is is taking some time. Well, um, let's hope that Roma can pull things together because he wants her to be competitive this year. And it does seem Juventus, despite stumbling, might still be in danger of running away with it, even at this early stage. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Juve and Musa have been 
perfect this season up until this point, and I think they kind of took their eye off the ball in right. the, in the second half of this game and just were trying to manage the game and, and see it out. Which is, uh, you know, there are no easy games in Serie A, Musa. Uh, so, uh, so, <laughs> Apart from so Ipswich, even though, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so even though Christophe Piontek, the uh, the revelation of this season in Europe with Paco Alcacer, I think, in terms yeah. of he'd scored in every single game going into this one. He didn't score, and yet Genoa still managed to somehow get a point. Um, so, um, yeah, I think this was a teachable moment, I would say, from yeah. uh, for, from Allegri's point of view, and that shows that you can't take your eye off the ball, even if, even against uh, even against the, uh, the Rossa Blue of Genoa. Right, and maybe give them to have a, a bloody nose so early in the season. Maybe it's a good thing in the long term. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but James, uh, always, always a pleasure to have you on and uh, such a lyrical contribution for all our listeners. Um, Before we let him go, we should say, if anyone hasn't read it, read his uh, Please Go and Read his ESPN piece about the derby because it was beautiful. That opening paragraph about strolling around Milan on a Sunday morning got me... Uh, Got me very whimsical about <laughs> whenever I whenever I listen to James speak, I sort of drift into a kind of a reverie. It feels like a sort of Netflix documentary on if Netflix is listening, <laughs> give this man give this man a series of his own. Um, but James, we'll let you we'll let you jump on a plane now. We hear you're in transit, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's a joy to have you as yeah, always. Pleasure. And I hope to catch you soon. Great. Cheers, Cheers guys. Thanks, Thanks James. Right, we're back from the break and we're gonna do a quick dart around the rest of Europe. Starting with, should we start with Real? We have to, we have to. Losing to Levante. Yeah. It's wild because they've they've gone without scoring for, I think, almost 500 minutes. And then the person that scores isn't even a striker. It's Marcelo, who always bails them out, actually, in recent times. Um, so they're really struggling to score. And they get beaten by Levante and they're, they're looking like an absolute shambles. It was a really weird game, that. Really, really strange. I mean, Levante went 2-0 up. And then in that game, Real Madrid... They basically broke their record for the longest amount of time without a goal in their entire history. Like, entire history. 481 minutes before Marcelo scored to make it 2-1. But the vibe of the game was really weird. They, didn't, they were so sloppy. Considering this was a side who, who desperately needed a goal for a start, they were playing with an int- intensity of a pre-season game. You know, one of those, like, International Champions Cup or whatever things they are. It was really, really well, it's odd. funny because they lost to CSK, didn't they, in the um, yeah. the Champions League. They lost 1-0 after Cruz error and they had a Varane error here. So there's there's lapses in concentration. And I just wonder, you're playing for Real Madrid, you've won three state Champions Leagues. So you are, everyone's coming for you. So what may be sloppiness is it is sloppiness, but you're also facing everybody's best every week. And you will get pressed, you will get closed down. So sometimes what looks lazy isn't necessarily as lazy. It's maybe the fatigue of always being at the top for so long and then you look if you factor in as well the fact that you've got Ronaldo who's gone now and the the attack as Lee Roden pointed out on Twitter it's basically been reconfigured around him for so long and you've always got this like huge responsibility on different shoulders now so you know asking Bale to step into that breach Benzema to be a bigger volume goal scorer but Benzema has never been the best finisher so you've kind of got an attack which is not it's not built to to, to fill the gap that Ronaldo's left I find it kind of odd that Bale is now coming off the bench and there's a real, there seemed to be a real hope that he's the guy to get them out of trouble. You know, um, Mariano's starting games and just looks a little bit too soon for him at the moment. Um, but going back to what you were saying about the kind of intensity, I think I'd agree with that on the whole, but Levante walked through the whole of the side to like to attack and they could have scored a couple more. 
I was really, really surprised at how poor Real were. It's strange because it's actually a good time for Madrid to have a Clásico and a good time for Barcelona to have a Clásico because Barcelona obviously without Messi, but also Madrid would not want to face Leo Messi in the mood that he's been in. So in a way, it's a good game for both of them. I'm not sure it'll be the best encounter. I think it was a terrible game for Real until Messi got injured. Right. Because I think that their current form and the way that they're playing, if Messi had been fit for that game, I would have really feared for them. I mean, to be honest, I fear for most teams that, that play against Messi these days. Yeah, for sure. The way he started the season, but you're right, absolutely. I mean, but Messi has been, you know, papering over a lot of the Barcelona cracks this season. They still haven't really clicked yet. Um, as James said, you know, they can't defend that well at the moment and they can't control games like they have been doing in the past. And you take Leo out of that and that gives Real a really good chance. And I could see... Perez keeping Lopetegui around until the Clasico. For him, politically, I think, if Lopetegui wins the game, you keep him on. And it's a big boost for the club, and it's a big boost for Lopetegui, and it's like, oh, it's the turning point. Also, why introduce more chaos so close before exactly. the game? What I will say um, in Barcelona's defence, because they've they had a great win against Sevilla, which was catalyzed by Messi. I think he, a goal and assist in 15 minutes were going off the fractured arm, so he'll miss three weeks. He'll miss the intergame in the Clasico. What I'd like to say about Barca is, how Arthur has come into the side and been tremendous and provided, you know, a measure of midfield control because the problem is with a player like Coutinho, wonderful as he is, is more of a kind of a raider. He's not really a guy that, that takes tempo. So it's wonderful to have someone like him there. But what is a real sign and a real worry for Barcelona is the struggle of, of Dembele to integrate in the Barcelona team. Yeah, I mean, it's all very stop-start. There was some really promising signs at the beginning of the season. Um, I think Arthur is... is has come in and done really well, mainly because of the fact that you've hardly really noticed him. Right. So he's definitely kind of introducing a little bit more of a metronomic element to that midfield, which they need. And actually compliments Rakitic really well, I think. Actually, let me just have a quick shout out for Rakitic because Rakitic gets a lot, certainly online, gets a lot of um, criticism from Barcelona fans, but I'm a staunch Rakitic fan advocate and I just think that he does extraordinary and essential work for that Barcelona team and I think his contribution will only be recognised rather like Paulinho's only after he leaves the club I think he's amazing he contributes so much and I don't really understand the the hate I think he was like like Barca's Aaron Ramsey right everyone needs yeah everyone needs a pinata Uh, other parts of La Liga so Atletico Madrid, with a strange stuttering, continue their stuttering start to the season, failing to take advantage of uh, other struggles and drew against Villarreal 1-0. Do you know what I think is going to happen Atletico Madrid? What I hope will happen. I hope that their indifferent form in the league will catalyse them in the Champions League and they can make a real run of that trophy. So I hope they get just sharp enough because they do have the players, you know, Sal Nuguez, Thomas Lamar, Griezmann was terrific against... Germany and again I mean he he has a thing for Germany though he does punish them in big matches so you know it's not that was that was not foreshadowed by previous performances against them but they just seem to be grinding into gear and they're, they're still not that far off no I mean it's all very tight at the top I mean there's yeah. only four points between Barca in first and Real in seventh right um I think Atleti are two points off the top so after like we said after our uh, doom and gloom future football podcast it kind of seems to be that a lot of uh, teams are starting to stutter yeah, around well, well, La Liga, especially La Liga this year, I think has been the best. It's been the most exciting start to La Liga like, in in a long time because it's, you know, everything's kind of all over the place. Espanyol a second, Alaves a third. The newly owned by Ronaldo, Baradaid, are up into sixth. They beat Betis at the weekend, who 
Betis, Betis, Betis. (laughs) Oh, you have a pro Betis. You're a Betista. Betis is my pro. Yeah, my my pro Betis agenda for the season. They just can't score. They've they've only scored five goals this season, which is the lowest in La Liga. Yet they're in what? I mean, they're up to they're tenth because they've only conceded seven. Can I be dramatic here? Go for it. You know, there's all these likes of English players now going abroad to other clubs. I would love a leading English striker to go on loan to a club like Betis for a year. I won't name Marcus Rashford, but I would love a leading England striker to go to a club like that and just add the the finishing touches to them. Because it would be a club like that would be perfect. A club that needs a striker, that needs someone who can actually get on the end of things. And you get to crew. live in Seville for a year. Well, absolutely. Like, absolutely. And the food, my no goodness, brainer. you wouldn't come back. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if, they can, if they can get some kind of finishing going, they could be really, really good this season. There we go. So, Hopefully. Marcus, if you're listening, if you want a, a six-month break after the... Uh... <laughs> Dude, the United fans are going to come after you. After <laughs> Shadow. Listen, um, let's jump into the Bundesliga because that is, by my money, the, the most interesting league in Europe at the moment. Over three goals a game on average in the Bund- in every Bundesliga game this season. And the actual league itself, Mönchengladbach, I think, second. Dortmund, top. And brilliant again against Stuttgart. Jadon Sancho, flying. Werder Bremen, above Bayern Munich, Leipzig close behind, Hertha Berlin. It's just, it's all happening. I think we uh, we need to give a massive shout out to Sancho again because Michael's not here. So um, yeah, we have to, I mean, he scored again right on the weekend. Got the opener, I think. Yep, Dortmund beat Stuttgart 4-0 away. And also Reese Nelson scored two for Hoffenheim. Hoffenheim were 1-0 down on the weekend against Nuremberg away. And uh, Nelson scored two to get them back into the game. And Bayern won. They beat Wolfsburg 3-1 in Wolfsburg. I mean, that was a, that was a good result for Bayern. But apart from the course, but w- what I find fascinating about Germany this season, you know, Niko Kovac has this transition at Bayern. So they'll be back. I mean, they return. They're not, they're not far off the lead, but they're not there. You know, familiar, foreboding, formidable selves. Dortmund under Luciano Favre are doing real damage. They're front runners. And if you'd said, if you'd said at the start of the season that Kristen Pulisic would struggle for game time and, and Goetze would struggle for game time behind Jadon Sancho, people would have laughed at you. Mm. Maybe not with Goetze but so much, but certainly Pulisic. But Sancho has just been a revelation. He's now starting games for them. Started as a sub and is now coming, you know, sort of integrated into the attack. Paco Alcacer is terrific. Well, he's always been a great player, just a bit unlucky at Barcelona and it's it's also very hard with the specific demands of playing up front for Barcelona. Yeah, just the wrong move. Yeah, yeah. It's the wrong move. I mean, you've yeah. seen the how, how, like, right club, right move, right scenario, right manager as well, maybe. Lucien Favre is just the, the master of reviving careers. I love Lucien Favre. He's brilliant. He's so great. Yeah. Um, Dor- Dortmund are just so fun. Probably the most fun team in Europe to watch, I think. Every Dortmund game is a must-watch at the moment. Really pleased for Jadon Sancho because he's kind of you know, caught up to the England squad. First game back after international duty, follows it up with a goal. What I love about Jadon Sancho is that he's here in Germany and he's off the radar because still there's not that much clamour to watch German games in the UK. So he can kind of go there, get the fanfare for England, come back here and just do his thing quietly. And well, I say quietly, I mean, everyone's watching him. There was a great um, report I saw about the fact that there were representatives from all this this year in, I saw this yeah, yeah. this week in Germany representatives from all the clubs because they're now looking at the young at the England under 19 under 17 under games. 17 games yeah. right because they've seen this crop that's coming through mm-hmm. they've seen Sancho they've seen a bit of 
you know, Foden as well uh, at City. I mean, it's a perfect scenario for, for clubs around the whole of Europe, actually, because they know that the, those players aren't going to make it, aren't going to get game time yet. Mm. And, um, you know, I think I think you're going to see a lot. We've said this a million times, so I mean... But I'm really, I'm, I'm really, I've got to say this as well, Reese Nelson at Hoffenheim, because that's even more of a brave move, because Dortmund has that established infrastructure. Hoffenheim is not that well-known a town. It's a very, you know, Dortmund's a, it's a working-class town, but it's a big town. Hoffenheim's a bit smaller. You're putting a lot more faith in the coaching. You're definitely not on, on the radar even as much as you are at Dortmund, so... But um, you get the game time. I mean, what, yeah. what, what they've, they've, they've played eight, um, won three, drawn one, lost four. I mean, that, was his second, record. that was Reese Nelson's second start, and he's got four goals this season. Fantastic. So, I mean, he's doing all the right things as well. Big shout-out to Gladbach. Hammered Mines, 4-0. Hat-trick from Jonas Hoffman. And uh, Torgan Hazard got the other one, and Gladbach are second now. They're well, really yeah, they, they, they turned over Bayern three nil yeah. in Munich. Yeah. So what I love about this league is that even when Bayern return to prominence, they're going to have to fight. Well, they're playing catch up, and they're not used to playing catch up. Right, right. So um, Werder Bremen beat Schalke as well. So Werder are third on goal difference, only behind um, uh, Wolfsburg. A little bit worried about Schalke again. Before we go, I want to jump to France because. France have, you know, PSG as the front runners, and that I think is a side with Thomas Tuchel now that could do some damage in the later stages of the Champions League. They look like a more assured, composed outfit than they've been in previous seasons. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I actually wrote a piece for the Rabona site that should, it might be up by the time this podcast is up, um, about how quietly they're they're really really adding substance to the style. You know, so they won five 0 on the weekend against Amiens, and that extended their record to ten wins, which is the best start to a league on a season ever. And they beat that record a couple of weeks ago um, when they beat Leon at home. And that, oh, the Mbappe game, four goals yeah. in what, 13 minutes, I think. And I mean, that that record is a long record. It stood for 80 odd years. And if you think of some of the clubs that the French dynastic clubs that haven't achieved that, it's no mean feat. Tuchel is quietly doing a really good job at PSG. A lot of the people in the UK, for example, would only watch PSG when they play in the Champions League. And I think that defeat against Liverpool maybe they meant they didn't really take them seriously. I remember there was a couple of pieces that came out about how, you know, they're not really a football club or they're not really playing football. And I think that was a little bit harsh because for that game, they were missing Verratti, who is such a key player for them. And they still could have won the game. And they're a team in transition. I think yeah. it's important to remember, you look at Bayern, for example, when you take charge of a super club and the players have an established way of playing and they have their methods, you know, you have Mbappe, who was, I suppose, a bit more of a free spirit. Uh, for both France, you know, for France, he's allowed to roam. For PSG last season, he was very much allowed to sort of float around. And now he's in a more constrained role, but I think a more productive role. I mean, the way he's scoring goals freely. He's playing really, really well. And I think that one of the things, I mean, I won't go too much into it because I would recommend people go read, your read the piece. But um, I think Tuchel's managing of the situation with Neymar coming back from the World Cup, his kind of reputation was, was not great. And that shifting dynamic between Neymar going there to be the main man and Mbappe clearly coming back from the World Cup as the main guy at PSG. But also he's kind of got Di Maria back involved. Cavani seems really happy. He's changed systems quite a lot this season in various games and rotated really well. And young players coming through, you know, like... Um, Diaby. Like Diaby, you know, he's playing really well. Timothy Ware is playing really well. Like when he's got minutes, Chupamoting from... Stoke came on a free transfer, scored coming off the bench on his debut. There's something tick in there. And and I think because of the a lot of the attention that PSG get from being, you know, the kind of Jordan stuff and the 
celebrities wearing tail, you know, customized PSG stuff, and a lot of people forget that there's a football club there. And talk all serious, you know. Right. I think even if they don't go mega deep in the Champions League this season, I think that he will definitely turn PSG into a real, real force in Europe. Well, it's funny because as thrilling as the Bundesliga is the Champions League is the least predictable tournament and it's always unpredictable but this year in particular with Madrid struggling but always you know Madrid being Madrid I just have no idea what's going to happen there and I think there any one of any one of six teams I could realistically see even at this point holding that trophy up yeah I mean it's I mean we've said it before I mean it's hard to argue that Real Madrid were probably the best team in Europe in the last few years yet they've won three straight right um so at the moment the Champions League is very unpredictable Ryan, it's been an absolute joy having you here. And it's a shame, of course, we we mourn the absence this week of Michael. We're staring at his, staring empty, at his empty Staring at his empty seat. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Just with the sound of silence ringing in my head. Michael, let's, just have, let's have a moment of silence for Michael. There we go. Um, <laughs> get well soon, mate. Get well soon. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much for joining and subscribing. Please check us out on at Rabona Mag across all social media platforms. And we'll see you again next week.